You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. You know, if you are, are one of those that truly lives for Jesus, you are at some point going to come in conflict with our culture. It, it's unavoidable. And it can be hard because you feel like you're swimming upstream and you feel alone. But this morning, I, I, I want to, to know that we're going to spend the next few weeks reading texts that will encourage you that indeed God is with you. And, and there's a reason that you feel like you're off base. And, and there's a reason that trials come into your life. And that you can exist. And not only exist, but you can thrive. So that's why we call this new series in First Peter, Strangers and Aliens, because it's written to a group of believers that were displaced. They had fled Rome in the mid-first century, and so Peter was writing to them to comfort them that they weren't alone, and depending on what translation of the Bible you read, they, they were called anything from, from sojourners to temporary residents to, to exiles to pilgrims, and yes, aliens. So you and I are much like these believers. They were a long way from home. Persecution was ramping up. And what they were experiencing more than physical persecution was social persecution. And I think we know what that's beginning to feel like now in the United States. We are Christians in a pagan land. We feel at times really displaced, but I want you to know that there's hope, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, because there's something far more wonderful ahead. Now, before you open your Bibles, I just want to take these first two verses of First Peter and just work them through quickly with you, because this kind of gives you at least a glimpse and a foundation of what the rest of this section and chapter will look like. This is First Peter 1, 1 and 2. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, Peter's the author, to those elect exiles. And that's really important two words right there because what it's saying is this isn't about election regarding salvation. It's about election to their current plight. God put them there for a reason. These are elect exiles of the dispersion, dispersed out from Rome. Here is where they were, in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which is all in the northern provinces, according to the foreknowledge of God. Not God looking into the future and going, wow, that's great that that's going to happen. No, what, what Peter's saying here is due to the sovereign foreknowledge of God. God made this happen. The, God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. All of the members of the Trinity are listed in this greeting. You have God the Father, you have the Spirit, you have Jesus Christ, all involved with sanctification. And then at the end, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Because these people needed peace. They needed to know that though they felt out of sorts, though their families were back in Rome, that they were going to be okay. And already we've learned the author is Peter. We've learned where these people live. We've talked about elected exiles. And you know, God has chosen us 
to be here in America, in the Twin Cities, at Ridgewood Church, for this period of time. And, and some of us are wondering, like, why did you choose, like, why couldn't it have been South Florida? Instead of Siberia. But here we are, because God wanted us to be here. And the thing that I want to talk to you about this morning is that, though you are strangers and aliens, though we all are, we can thrive even though the culture seems to turn against us. And because we have Christ and an inheritance waiting for us, we can be okay if we stick to what we know. And so I want you to take your Bibles now and open, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3. And if you want to grab a Bible that's in the, the seat back in front of you, you can just grab that Bible and turn to page 1014, and you'll find the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. You can also use the Ridgewood app if you want to download that, all of the scriptures there. You just go to Media, Study Guide, and just go to today's date. So 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3. So here, in the opening of his letter, Peter began his quest to comfort these strangers and aliens who live in the northern provinces of the Roman Empire. And, and as the letter progresses, we're going to see that believers have a vast treasure waiting for us. And Peter calls it an inheritance. And, and what we're going to find out is that that inheritance is there so we will keep our priorities straight, so that we will continue to persevere, so that we'll continue to keep our heads down and do the mission that we have been given because we can just stick to what we know about who Christ is and what's waiting for us. And so let's begin here, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's a lot, of, a lot there in those verses, but the central theme is inheritance. And Peter's putting it in front of these believers so they can have hope, and it's the linchpin of this section. So the first point I want to make this morning is that you can stick to what you know because a heavenly inheritance waits for you. And, and, and I want to get really specific about this because so often we as Christians, we think of heaven and we're really bored by the idea or scared by, by the idea because it seems like this eternity of clouds and harps. And, and, and who wants that? We want Chicago, blood, sweat, and tears and so forth. But more than that, we want Christ. And so this is going to help us understand what this is all about. And the Bible really affirms this. In Romans 8, 17, it's a reminder that we are heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14 tells us that the Holy Spirit is the pledge of our inheritance. And in Titus, the, the Bible tells us that by grace we have been made heirs. So there is an inheritance waiting for us. But then you can ask, well, what is this inheritance? What's so special about this inheritance? And I know when you think about inheritance, the first things that come to mind to you are 
the passing down of goods from one generation to another. And that's kind of what Peter has in mind. And so let's take a look at a definition of what inheritance is. And this is really an amazing truth that we have that we don't talk about enough. It is possessing Christ himself and all that has been promised to him as king through the gracious gift of salvation. I just want that to sink in for a moment. Possessing Christ himself and all that has been promised to him as king. That's amazing. Because we're not going like, to like get a piece of it or, or look at it and find joy in seeing it happen. We're going to be given it through the mercy of God. And so as this world unfolds and as we have trials, what Peter's trying to say is, hey man, what's ahead is so much better than what you're experiencing here. So hang in there. Stick to what you know. Walk with Christ. And that's what, that's what Peter's really trying to get across here. Now this whole idea of inheritance had its roots actually back in the Old Testament. So the, the Jewish readers of this letter, they were largely Gentiles with some, some Jews sprinkled in, would have all of a sudden said, oh yeah, we know about inheritance. Because in the Old Testament, this inheritance was promised to the patriarchs. And then as they left Egypt, they marched to the inheritance, which was Canaan, the promised land. And so they would have understood that. But now what Peter's doing is he's taking this from an Old Testament concept, and he's moving it into the church age, which we are in, and we share that with these first century believers, and he's saying, no, your inheritance isn't the land of Canaan, your inheritance is in heaven. And so, as these Old Testament believers longed for the promised land, we then, as New Testament believers, long for heaven. And Paul would write about this as well, and he said, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, because Paul wanted us to be looking outward as well, ahead to what's there for us, because he's well aware that life has pain, and we deal with trials, we deal with struggles, and it's hard sometimes, and we see the culture sneering at us, but here's what he's saying, is even through the pain, you know, pain of divorce and death and illness and the pain of relational strife. I don't know if anyone here had any relational strife over the holidays. Probably not. It's probably some other church that experiences that. But the, the, the idea of feeling outcast and just out of place, Peter's saying, it's going to be okay. Why is it going to be okay? Because there is something called an inheritance that's waiting for you. And it's salvation in Christ. It is Christ himself. It is his universal kingdom. And so, hey, I'm telling you this, he's saying, because I want you just to keep working at your faith, keep doing what I've called you to do. Don't worry about the culture. It's going to rattle you, but don't let it throw you off because you're heading toward that inheritance. That's where you're going. And that's what can give us joy and help us to thrive, even in this really difficult culture that we live in. 
So now Peter, as he moves through here in verse 4, will give us a really tighter definition of inheritance that I think is really thrilling. Because they are, like we are, they're dis- disenfranchised, they feel alone, they feel like outcasts, they're strangers and aliens. So Peter's going to delve into this inheritance here in verse 4 and help us learn more about it. And the first thing he tells us is that this inheritance is imperishable. And in the King James, that's the word incorruptible. In the NIV, it's, it cannot perish. The Greek word refers to what is not corruptible, what is not liable to death or subject to instru- destruction. So, in short, it cannot be taken away. And it's there for you. And so it is imperishable. And second, it is undefiled. And this goes to the purity of our inheritance. This is so hard for us to get our minds around because everything we know, everything we touch, everything we feel, all of our senses are part of the fall. And so we don't really know what true purity is because we're all a product of what happened in the garden. But not our inheritance. That's not flawed at all. It's perfect. It's untouched by sin. And so when we experience it someday, there will be no scar of what happened in the garden. It'll be pure and righteous and wonderful. And I don't know about you, but I get really tired of fighting the battle against sin every day. And I can't wait for that time when I can just go like, wow, battle's over. I'm with Christ. This is awesome. And so he even further distinguishes it here. Not only is it imperishable and undefiled, but it cannot fade away. And the idea here in the original language is of a flower that did not wither or die. The ravages of time is not going to touch the inheritance. It is there. It will always be there. It won't fade away. It can't be taken away. It is totally pure. And best of all, it's kept in heaven How about that? It's kept in heaven for you. It's reserved for the saints. Not the New Orleans saints. They're not getting any of this. But but, but for the real saints. And this goes to the security of our inheritance. It's been reserved. The, The Greek here conveys the idea that the inheritance already exists. It's not going to be conjured up by God. It's already there. It's sitting there waiting for us. And, and, and we know that because Christ's kingdom is a forever kingdom. It never started, it will never end. It's been there. It's waiting for you. And so you can withstand temptations. You can take a long-term view because that's where you're going. You know, your life isn't about what's going to happen later today or tomorrow or the next week or the next month. That's part of your existence here. But what you're really aiming for is inheritance, Christ. And that's what he's saying here. Because life, no doubt, will throw curveballs at all of us, if it hasn't already. Kids go south, loved ones die, we, we, we disappoint others, others disappoint us, we disappoint ourselves, we make terrible mistakes. But through all of those ups and downs and the roller coaster of life, we can just move forward at a steady, persevering pace because we're heading to something that is unimaginable. The inheritance, the kingdom of Christ and Christ himself. So we can be 
wavering. Because it's there, it's safe, it's pure, it's forever. And then we can find great joy in this and live with gratitude because the cause of our inheritance is God's mercy. We, we don't deserve this. I mean, who are we kidding? I, mean, I know as Baptists, we, we, we tend to think we, we, we deserve it. You know, like, hey, God is like super lucky to have me on his team. You know? No. We're, 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 we're products of the fall. This is an amazing gift that he has given us. And, and this isn't works-based theology either. It refers to a living hope. It's, it's continued salvation from sin. It's continued deliverance from sin. And it will be until the time we are glorified and with Christ. And so this is an amazing gift by God's mercy. And in verses 6 through 9, we see how important it is that we embrace this gift and keep going. In this you rejoice, verse 6, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love this verse. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you don't see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And when I read verse 8, I'm constantly convicted. Is Jesus just this person that I'm trying to live up to? Or is he my, my fire insurance? Or do I really love him? When is the last time when you were praying, you just stopped and, and, and put aside your list and said, I just want to tell you I love you. Those words those words create something of intimacy between you and God that your prayer list isn't going to give you if you don't stop and pause and reflect on your relationship with Christ in a real way. So Peter tells us here that there's great joy in this when we stick to what we know. And he makes this practical and compelling argument for Christian joy. And we find out here that embracing our inheritance brings joy even in the midst of the worst trials of life. The apostle begins in verse 6 with the words, in this, and that's referring to the inheritance. In this inheritance you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you'll undergo various trials. And, and Peter stresses here that, that Christian joy isn't dependent at all on our circumstances. And, and don't we think it does? And, and you know, when I, when I read various um, sermons or, or, and listen to sermons and read books about sermons, so often they're temporally set in this culture only and how we can be happy in this culture. No, it, that's not what it's about. We, we want to thrive, but real joy comes when various trials, or in the Greek, all kinds of trials, come upon us, and God is working in our lives, and that's why we can find joy. And I find it really interesting here that Peter uses the term, if necessary. And that means 
that all of these trials and hardships that come into our life are all for a purpose. They're not random, bad events. And God never wants to discourage us. What, what he's doing through trials is he's humbling us and maturing us and strengthening us. And, and he's, he's, he's getting us into a position where we can have intimacy with Christ. And, and then the amazing thing that I found in my own life is that through these trials that we endure, Christ is always there. He, it's not like he goes, you know, here's a trial, good luck with that. Jesus is always there reaching out and saying, I love you. Come to me. Find out more about who I am. Enjoy me. Uh, 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 feed on my compassion and my, and my life-giving ransom for you. Just enjoy me. And that only happens, I'm afraid to say, during trial. Because when things are going well, we don't, we don't really need that. We're doing great. When life hits bottom, that's when Jesus really emerges and we pay attention. And, and so trials really have a place here. And trials are necessary because they, they wean us off the world. And, and, and there, there are hardships that are, that are common to all of us as Christians. And they are common to these first century believers as well they were feeling displaced because the culture wasn't lining up with their belief systems. So that was hard for them. That's hard for us. That is a trial. They, they saw persecution ramping up. They knew that their, their relatives back in Rome were being killed. And so that was a trial. And so we have all this in common that when we live for our faith, we're going to be denied some of the things that others are going to receive. We're going to lose jobs because of our faith. We're not going to get jobs because of our faith. We're going to lose friends because of our faith. We're going to be mocked because of our faith. And all of it, Peter says, is part of the process of getting you in line so that you can enjoy Christ and thrive as strangers and aliens. And so we rejoice because we have this inheritance waiting Trials help us to focus on the inheritance, and it's going to be there forever. It's safe, and it's pure, and it's amazing. But this next little section here, I want you really to pay attention to, because Peter is helping us to stay close to Jesus, and when, that, when the trials do come, it's easy to walk away. But what what I want you to, to know here is that finding joy in trials is possible because they grow your faith and we rely more on Christ. Verse 7 again, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And one thing that really feeds my soul is when I'm around believers that have deep, abiding faith. I was talking to a lady this week, just found out she has cancer. And, you know, I'm ready to minister to her. And, you know, like, wow, like, you know, pastor, you know, it's great to get to, like, feed into her. And, man, it's like, you know, 
I just, she went through this whole thing that God is in this. I love God. God has a plan. God. And by the end of the, of the phone call, I'm going like, I, you know, she doesn't need me. <laughs> what faith? And I was the one that got ministered to. And, and that's what trials do for you. Is they, 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 they cause you to develop a, a deeper faith than you could ever, ever imagine. And what, and what Peter has in mind here is this idea of, of refinement. And so in the Near East, these goldsmiths would take metal in the fire and, and, and the, the, the books all tell you that they would wait until they could see themselves in the reflection of the metal. And then they, they knew it was pure. But they had to leave it in there until they could see that. And so what God does with us, I think the metaphor here that Peter's getting at is, we're going to go into that fire. And none of us want to be in the fire. And the first thing we want to do is jump out of that fire as quickly as we can. This is where the lie of the prosperity gospel does its most damage. There should be no fire if you're a Christian. If there is, you're doing something wrong, get out of there. No, that directly contradicts the Bible. Peter's saying, you need to be in suffering to be perfected. But what do we do? Pain comes, we medicate ourselves. Busyness, entertainment, just don't think about it. But this is how we become like Christ. This is how we reflect Christ to the world. So when people look at us after we've been in the fire, they don't see our reflection, they see Christ's reflection. And as your pastor, I just want to counsel you, don't be quick to run from pain. Don't desire it, that's weird. But when it finds you, let Christ be your medication. Don't run out and try to bury it, because here's the truth of the matter. It'll be there when you come back. It will, and these trials don't go away quickly, a lot of them. And we pray, like, Lord, why? Why? Why won't you take this away from me? And I think what he's saying is, because you're still in the fire and you need to stay there for a little bit longer. Not because I don't like you or because I'm mean, but because I see a future for you that you don't see. And, and for us, what Peter is saying here is, all of this leads to this inheritance, the, the vast treasure ahead. And so all of this is waiting for us when we keep our head down, when we stick to what we know, when we don't vary from our faith. If you look at verse 9, obtaining as an outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls, not by works, but through the grace of God. And so when we stick to what we know, we are delivered from sin, the salvation of our souls. No matter how foreign you feel, in this culture, there is a deliverance going on in your life constantly that God has for you. And this is what Peter's alluding to here in verses 10 through 12. We as believers have received astounding blessings that even angels long to look at. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquired what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. 
And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things to which angels long to look. Here's what he's saying. is All of this we're talking about today was predicted by the prophets. And they didn't know it all. They didn't see it all clearly, but they were serving us. And so when we read prophecy, when we see that it's coming true, we can thank God for these amazing, courageous prophets that predicted this for us. Because we are in a foreign land. Philippians 3.20 says that our citizenship is in heaven. And so we've got to find a way to thrive. We don't want to become bitter, angry people. Because that would be no good at all. So here are two quick things I want to leave with you before we go to the Lord's table. First, when we stick to what we know, we bring others into the fold. This is how we develop Christ-like character. This is how we act like Christians. In Colossians 4, 5, and 6, this is what Paul says we should be like. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That kind of godly character is developed in the fire. And we reflect Christ. And then, lastly, when we stick to what we know, we get more of Christ. You're going to get more of Christ when you're going through this thing, and then you're going to be able to navigate through the culture. And, and we can look forward to the day when we receive our inheritance. But for now, we have a job to do. We have a purpose. And we can find joy in that purpose. And every trial that we experience just causes us to go deeper and to refine our character and to find more of Christ. And that's what I'm calling you to do this morning is to find more of Christ. I'm calling you to to believe what we just learned in Scripture and, and to not let politics dictate your joy or well-being or, or the circumstances of your health or, or the, where you live or, or how much money you make. No. Focus on Christ. Focus on your inheritance. Stick to what you know. Because you are strangers. You are aliens. But we are Christ's. And he will never ever abandon us. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. We encourage you to receive the message that was just given and let the Lord do a mighty work in and through you. For more information on how to connect, give to this ministry, or for more faith-based resources, visit us at myrwc.org.